What is up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Main Event Heat Podcast. I am your host, Rob Weathers, and I apologize if I don't sound super great right now. I got my my vaccine booster shot a few days ago, and I seem to be in the very low percentage of people that actually have really bad side effects to the booster, so I feel like hammered dog shit right now. The The body aches has been the absolute worst part. That like My, my arm where I got the shot is really red right now. Uh, the shortness of breath has been kind of tough, too. Yesterday, it was really, really bad. Today, it feels a little bit better, but I'm supposed to go to a hockey game in a few hours, and uh, yeah. I don't know. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. Enough about me. You know, last week, as you guys know, we filmed the episode a little bit early because I had a loop that I had to go do. I had, uh, like I said, Lariato Pro Wrestling on Friday and Saturday and then Championship Wrestling from Atlanta on Sunday. It was a it was a fun loop. I had a really great time. If you guys would like to know what the loop was like in a little more detail, you can head on over to the Main Event Heat YouTube channel. I did a little vlog ski there. Just seeing me traveling to and from the shows, a little bit of backstage footage, you know, just just a few things like that. But yeah, go check that out if you're interested in that loop that I had last week. God, this this episode is going to be so much to edit. I've already had to stop like three times to clear my throat. Jesus Christ. So let's try to get through this as fast as we can. The first thing I want to talk about is is the the email address, maineventheat at yahoo.com. Got a couple of emails recently from some listeners. Uh, a new listener named Rita emailed me this. Uh, no subject, simply just, uh, how are you, sir, in all caps. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the email. Well, Rita, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. I wonder if Rita knew that I was uh, dealing with these side effects right now. I wonder if that's why I got the uh, why I got this email. But uh, no, I'm 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 fine. I I appreciate you for asking. If you have anything else you'd like to ask, anything in a little more detail, please feel free to to email me again. And I got another one. My good buddy Stephen, who emailed me a couple of episodes ago to critique me about some of my my choices for my favorite matches. Well, Stephen's got some more critiques for me this week. He just checked out the Q&A episode that I, I put up this past week, and he asks me this question, uh, literally exactly like this, <clears throat> how in the holy hell can you say Undertaker is your least favorite gimmick? That gimmick went through several variations and lasted 30 years. I mean, I could see if you said that Beaver Cleavage or the Spirit Squad or Orange Cassidy was your least favorite gimmick. But Undertaker? Come on, man. Dude is a freaking legend. The American badass Undertaker was believable as hell. He wasn't shooting lightning down from the rafters. You're correct. Uh, the, the American badass, while a lot of people didn't like that one, I didn't mind it as much because, yes, it was more believable. He was just, he was just another guy. And the idea... And I remember him saying this. Um, I think I, I think Bruce Pritchard might have brought this up in a in, in an episode of his podcast. But a lot of the idea behind doing this was was Taker wanted to sell more, you know, which you know may, effectively making him more human. You know, he wanted to actually sell his opponents. Ironically, this was during a time where Taker 
buried everybody that came across him in the company. Like, let's not forget, uh, American Badass Taker is is pretty much solely responsible for making sure that Diamond Dallas Page meant absolutely jack shit during his short WWF run. Not to mention the that terrible tag team match against Chronic for the WCW tag titles. There's a lot of negatives. And, and here's the thing. Yes, Beaver Cleavage is an awful gimmick. We all know that. How long did that last? Three weeks, maybe, including vignettes. Undertaker's been around pissing me off for 30 years. <laughs> My entire life, Undertaker's been pissing me off. And it's it's simply, and I think I've said this in a previous episode, I love wrestling that makes me forget that I'm watching wrestling. We all know that it's predetermined. We all understand what wrestling is. My favorite wrestling is when I can forget that. I literally can never forget that if The Undertaker's in the ring because he's so fucking goofy. Now, that's not to say that I uh, that it's supposed to be any disrespect. I said before, I have a lot of respect for Mark Calloway as a performer. But like for even people to say that like I've heard so many people tell me like how great of a wrestler he is. Like he didn't actually start having good matches. Until I'd say the mid to late aughts, whenever he started having those WrestleMania matches against guys like Edge and Randy Orton and Batista and Shawn Michaels, like that's those were like really the only great matches of his career. If you actually go through and find any like top ten list of best Undertaker matches, most of it is going to be those later WrestleMania matches because he was as good as whoever he was in the ring with. Undertaker is the last guy I consider to be a ring general. If he was any kind of ring general, then he could have pulled out a decent few minutes against Giant Gonzalez, but he didn't do that. He is as good as whoever he's wrestling against. I don't know why I got off on that tangent. That has nothing to do with with him being my least favorite character, but it's just too goofy for me, and it lasted a long time. The Spirit Squad, what was that? Six months? Maybe a year? I don't even think it was that long. This was 30 years worth of pissing me off. That's why it's my least favorite. And I, in no way, shape, or form, expect anybody to agree with me on that. I've just, as since I was a child, since I first started watching wrestling in 1998, I've never liked The Undertaker. And then uh, uh, one more note from Steven. He says, I respect your top five list on the most attractive women in pro wrestling, but I believe you forgot to mention Stacey Keebler. Total smoke show. Brother, I forgot a lot. <laughs> Trying to make a top five list of the most attractive women in wrestling is is kind of a bullshit task because I think it's physically impossible. Even after I made my list, which was all off the top of my head, after I put the episode out, I went, how the fuck did I not bring up Maurice, right? Like, because current day Maurice is hotter than almost every woman in the world, and I didn't bring that up. You're absolutely right. Stacey Keebler, absolute smoke show, and I totally, she didn't even... I, I, I almost had forgot to even think about Stacey Keebler, which is a travesty, 100%. Yeah, that's a tough list to do. The only reason I even bothered it is because it was suggested. But um, after that, Steven says, keep up the good work. Uh, you know what, Steven? Uh, you, you keep up the emails, man. I, I appreciate 
I appreciate you uh, you you regularly writing into the show. I I really enjoy hearing your feedback. You know, like I said uh, in a previous episode, I've known this guy for like over twenty years. Me and this dude are childhood friends. We used to we used to drive to school together. He was the first one out of all of our friends to get to get a vehicle. So he used to have to carpool everybody to school. Um, Steven, you know what, buddy? I'm gonna be in I'm gonna be in Louisiana during Thanksgiving. Holler at me, man. We'll uh we'll have to we'll have to meet up. I might wind up having to give you your own segment on this show. Fuck. <laughs> but that's gonna do it for the the emails. Uh, I was about to say that's gonna do it for the episode. That be that be super sweet. Not have to edit too awful much. But we've still got plenty uh, to talk about. You know, we've got full gear was last night. I know that's why everybody's tuning into this episode. We're gonna get right to full gear. But just before we do that, there was this huge, massive wrestling show that just got announced called Ziggy Dice's Outlandish Paradise. This show is going to be taking place January 15th in Canton, Georgia. At this moment in time, ticket links haven't been shared yet, but I believe that they are going to be in the next week. Not a whole lot of announcements have been made regarding this show. About the only announcement that's been made is that it exists. I can tell you guys right now, I'm hip to some of the talent that's going to be on this show, and... All I can tell you is if you can physically make it to the show, you do not want to miss this. It is going to be a show like no other. Some, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be some names. There's going to be some fucking names. Now, to that end, oddly enough, I am not one of the names that seems to be currently booked. You know, I uh, I, I tried asking Zicky about that recently, you know. You know, where was, I guess my invitation got lost in the mail and he kind of just shrugged me off. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to, to, to a misunderstanding right now. I don't know if Zicky's got somebody helping him book the show or, or, or what's going on. But um, yeah, we got we to gotta remedy that. I, I, like, I've got to be there, right? Like, it only makes sense. I don't know. Well, I'm sure I'm sure it was I'm sure it was just a miscommunication or, or something to that effect. I'm sure I'll be getting that phone call any day now. But on from that, let's go ahead and get ready to talk about Full Gear emanated last night from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am, of course, recording the show on Sunday. I stayed up to watch most of the pay-per-view last night. We're going to get to that whenever we start talking about it. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. If you would like to support the show, head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Rob Weathers, where you can pick up one of several t-shirt designs, including the brand new Main Event Heat podcast shirt. That's ProWrestlingTees.com slash R-O-B-W-E-A-T-H-E-R-S. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Rob Weathers. And we're back, and we're going to talk about AEW Full Gear. It went down November 13th, 2021 in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Target Center. And we've got a an, a very long show. I think the show is about four and a half hours long. And that was definitely very trying for me. But I did my best to collect some notes for you guys. Let's start with the buy-in. So right whenever the buy-in starts, I immediately get aggravated. I'm going to jump on a stupid soapbox here for a second. I know a lot of people are probably going to roll their eyes whenever they hear me go off on this tangent. That's fine. I'm going to try to get through this as quick as possible. That fucking green shirt guy from all the WWE events was front row. Now, I have no problem... If somebody wants to spend their hard-earned money 
to go to every wrestling show that they can possibly go to. By all means, wrestling live is is a very special experience. And I can imagine if you're in this guy's shoes, probably really tough to watch wrestling at home if you've been going to basically every event that you can physically go to for the last God knows how many years. Do you always have to sit in front of the hard cam wearing the same damn clothes? And this goes for you too, Brock Lesnar guy. I saw you in the front row also. That drives me up a wall. That's not just a, oh, I want to go watch the show and I want to make sure I have good seats. No, I literally want everybody that's watching at home to have no choice but to look at me. Get the fuck out of here. For whatever reason, this guy gets off on people watching him. And it's not just him. There's, there's, a, there's a small handful of fans that have been doing this in the WWE for years. And it drives me nuts. Why do you feel the need to sit in that same spot? Like, why do you feel the need to be on the hard cam? Like, I get it. When you go to your first wrestling show, you want to scurry home as quick as you possibly can because you've never seen yourself on TV before. After like the thousandth time, is it really that special? Like, I literally am on TV for for wrestling as a commentator, and I have the camera pointed directly in my face several times throughout the night. I'm already fucking over it, and I've only done that like a dozen times. I do not understand this guy's fascination with himself. I know this is a stupid thing to complain about, but I've got ADD really fucking bad, and whenever I see that fucking light green shirt in the front row, it distracts me every single match, and that's been a problem whenever I do watch WWE pay-per-views, and it was definitely a fucking problem last night. Can you please, brother, just do me a favor? I don't care how many wrestling shows you go to. Can you please just one time not sit hard camps? I please fucking don't do that. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> It, I hate how angry that gets me, but it, it does. It gets me very angry. After that, we've got Tony Schiavone interviewing Dante Martin in the ring. Dante is trying to address Team Taz whenever the acclaim comes out trying to woo him. I don't understand why this is happening. Like, Dante has that good match against Kenny Omega a little while back, and now, like, every faction in AEW is trying to fuck with him. I don't, I don't get it. And... It was a really weird way to start the show. Kind of kind of went nowhere. And then we go into our first buy-in match. Okay, whatever. It was so odd. Like, just that entire segment was just really weird to me, and I was just really confused. I also, admittedly, I did not watch the go-home episode of Dynamite, so maybe there's something I missed. I don't know. I feel like I should have said that at the top of all this. I did not watch the go-home Dynamite for this show. Let's see. We've got uh, Nyla Rose and Jamie Hayter taking on Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa in the buy-in match. Uh, the first thought that I wrote down, I said, Hater got cakes. Why the fuck did I write that down? Uh, anyway, moving on. Sheeta and Rosa actually seem to have some pretty, some pretty slick teamwork early on in the match. After a few minutes, Sheeta winds up going out ringside, and you see that Serena Deeb is in the crowd. So I guess they're really trying to push this feud between Serena Deeb and Hikaru Sheeta, which which I, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I think Deeb is one of the best performers that they have in that women's division. Another thing that I noted while watching this match, Vicky Guerrero is, of course, ringside as the manager for Nyla Rose. I have tons of respect for Vicky Guerrero, and I'm sure she's a fantastic person. I've only heard great things from people that have met her. 
And I do totally understand the significance of this date. November 13th is, of course, the date of Eddie Guerrero's unfortunate passing back in, I believe this was 2005. So I, I totally understand why she's there and I, I respect her for being there. But if she could just not be a manager anymore, that would be great. Like I said, like I, I have a lot of respect for Vicky, but I just do not think she is good at the on-camera stuff. Literally, all she has to offer is a shrill voice, and that's not enough to be a good manager. She brings nothing to Nyla's presentation whatsoever. Even whenever she tries cutting backstage promos, she's not good at them. She's, she's not at all, and I'm not saying that to be an asshole. That's just not everybody can be a manager. Vicky Guerrero is not a good manager, and I, I'm totally cool with her having something to do with AEW. Like I said, I've only ever heard nice things about her as a person, but just as an on-screen character in this type of role, she's not very good at it, and the whole match, I'm just hearing her shrill voice just just echoing through my TV speakers, and it was driving me nuts. The baby faces get a hot start to the match, but then the heels quickly begin to dominate and do dominate throughout most of the match. Uh, Thunder Rosa dropkicked the cameraman at one point. That was really funny. Vicky Guerrero kindos Sheeta, and I think the back of her leg after Serena Deeb distracts her on the outside. Sheeta gets back in the ring, and Nyla Rose hits Sheeta with a frog splash and a shimmy. Uh, I do love that, you know, obviously, like I said, November 13th being the anniversary of Eddie Guerrero's death, I, I'm totally cool with the tributes, but we'll talk about it later. There was a lot of tributes throughout the show, and it was a lot of the same shit over and over again, but, uh, but I, I did enjoy this, especially, like, there's a few people on this show that I think they really should have said, okay, only these people really need to do these tributes. And I was totally cool with Nyla doing it because of the simple fact that Vicky is there in Nyla's corner. After the frog splash, Sheeta winds up winning with a roll-up, and Serena Deeb displays hella stank face on the outside. Uh, I gave this match a B-. You know, it, it was a decently hot way to start the show. There was, like I mentioned, a couple of distractions. Vicky's voice kind of bothered me throughout the match. And there was fucking Kool-Aid shirt guy in the front row pissing me off. Outside of that, the match itself was actually really solid. I'm going to try my best to just go down what my notes say verbatim. Uh, because I wrote some pretty funny shit. And hopefully it'll help me get through this a lot faster because my voice I can already feel going out and we are one match in. So let's move on to the second match. We kick off the actual pay-per-view with MJF versus Darby Allen. Uh, I wrote that Max's robe literally looks like a bathrobe. Like it, it, it literally looks like he just pulled a bathrobe from a hotel, gave it to the seamstress and said, hey, do something with this. Uh, Darby seems to commit an actual murder to some guy wearing a paper MJF mask in his car. Then Darby comes out to the ring with Sting. Sting comes out to get that easy pop and then just powders to the back. Yeah, one thing that I thought was really weird with this feud was a few weeks ago, MJF seemingly revealed this big revelation of why Darby Allen paints half of his face, and it's because of the car wreck that he got in when he was five years old with his uncle, and his uncle was fucked up, and, and his uncle died, and Darby believes that 50% of him died that day. It's really weird how Max has brought that up, and they're treating it like it was this big revelation that Max kind of let the cat out of the bag with. When Whenever AEW got started, Darby was very open about that story. Like, I thought that was common knowledge. Like, I remember him being on Chris Van Fleet's show, 
like right after it was announced that he signed with AEW, talking about that. Like this, I think even in one of those early video packages of Darby Allen, he brought up the whole why he paints his face thing. So it's really weird that they're treating this like nobody knew this whenever I feel like everybody knew this. Outside of that, the match starts and I wasn't super into the beginning of this match because it was super choreographed. Like every spot for the first few minutes was, it was like watching a ballet recital. I wasn't really into that. JR had one of his many botches on commentary, which I don't want this to sound like I'm being disrespectful to Jim Ross in any way, shape, or form. Jim Ross as a commentator on his worst day is going to be better than me on my best day any day of the week. Absolutely. But it's not a secret that as he's gotten older, he misspeaks very frequently. And I don't know if somebody was telling him something in his headset and he misheard it or what, but instead of referring to Darby and MJF as two of the four pillars of AEW, he called them two of the four pillows. And um, that popped me. I actually wrote ha 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 and all in caps on these notes. Uh, I really like that. Uh, I'm not crazy about how much the commentary team is constantly burying MJF. Like, yes, we get it, and he's a heel, and you guys are just trying to make us hate him more, but I feel like it's doing the opposite effect. Like, it's just annoying. Like, you're supposed to be unbiased, and that's that's an issue that I've noticed throughout the show. This commentary team is the furthest thing from unbiased. And that's just little things like that, just, just from a broadcaster perspective, aggravates me. Like, it's one thing if you get if you get upset over a finish, which is something that I do in Lariato. John Schuyler is, I guess you could say, RMJF, right? Like, he, he is the biggest heel in our company, and he's currently our heavyweight champion. And every match that he's won over his last handful of matches have all been from very fucked up tactics, a lot of low blows and a lot of roll-ups and pulling on the tights and stuff like that. And I'll call him out whenever he does it, but I'm not going to go throughout the entire match talking about how much a dickhead Skyler is. Like, that just doesn't make any sense and it doesn't help advance any kind of story. So, like, it's one thing to call out Max if he if he wins with a fucky finish, but, like, if they're just going to constantly talk about how much of a piece of shit he is throughout the show, like, I just, I don't get it. Like, I understand, like, he's that unlikable that even the commentators hate him, but just, I, it just comes off as unprofessional, if I'm being honest with you. And that's not the only time that something like this happens on the show. We'll get to that later. Darby goes for a big stun dog millionaire off the top rope, uh, and it would have looked a lot cooler, but MJF held the rope the entire time they were coming down, and I felt like that really took away from it. I understand why he was doing that. He was trying to keep him safe. He's trying to keep Darby safe, and this is not the first time he does something like that, or uh, let me phrase that this is not the last time he does something like that in this match but yeah it would have looked a lot cooler but i understand he was trying to be safe mjf hits a few pretty badass moves in succession he does a power bomb onto his knee with darby he counters the code red he hits a killer tombstone pile driver on the apron mjf hits some really really impressive moves in succession then they do this pin spot, which is another like super, super choreographed spot where they're just rolling all over the ring trying to pin each other. And Bryce Rimsberg is just constantly on the ground fucking smacking the mat. The dude definitely got his steps in for this match. 
Uh, another another beef that I had with MJF being too obviously safe was the spot whenever he was on the outside. Darby drops onto him for the coffin drop. MJF almost sits completely up, and he's got his arms super outstretched to catch Darby. Once again, he's being safe, but he's being way too obviously safe, and he's setting it up for way too long. Like There's a way to do it, and there's a way to do it safely that isn't so obvious, but MJF definitely killed the immersion for me a couple of times. After that, the pinnacle tries to come out, but Sting comes out instead, says, nah, fam. MJF gives Darby the gay skateboard that he brought with him and tries to get him to hit him with it. Referee gets distracted, tries to take the skateboard to the outside of the ring. MJF pulls the ring out of his tights, punches Darby in the face of the ring, and then he wins him with a side headlock. He talked about in the buildup for this match that he's such a better wrestler compared to Darby that he could beat Darby with a side headlock, and he did it. And I love that, actually. I'm, I'm glad that that wasn't just a throwaway line. I'm glad that he actually worked that into the match. I give this match a B. It was very entertaining. There was obviously a couple of things for me to gripe about. But in the scope of things, it was a very good match. These are two of the youngest, hottest competitors in this company. Each one of these guys is going to be a world champion in the future. Absolutely. After that, we've got FTR versus the Lucha Brothers. I absolutely love FTR's Mexican-America-inspired gear with, like, the one Mexican flag knee pad, the one American flag knee pad. I love that shit so much. Uh, Lucha Brothers would have had a really, really cool entrance if the extras didn't fucking botch it. Like, they had these extras that were supposed to be, like, marching in place on stage. First of all, none of them are in sync with each other. Then they put up the flags, they mount the flags on the stage before the Lucha Brothers come out, and then one of them, like, fucking knocks over one of the flags and just doesn't bother to try to fix it. So, yeah, the extras totally fucked up that entrance. It would have been really cool. Another manager note. I like Alex. Alex Abrahantes. Once again, seems like a super cool guy. If you've watched any of the, the Ethan Page... Uh, toy hunts that he does with Alex. Alex seems like a super, super cool guy. And I would, I'd love to go on a toy hunt with the guy personally, but as a manager, I just do not vibe with it whatsoever. Like he tries to be super aggressive as a Lucha Brothers manager and he's just not an aggressive guy. And I just don't buy it at all. Like whenever I watch him with those guys, like I just look at him and go, Oh, look at him. He thinks he's doing stuff, but he's really not. He brings nothing to their package. I don't think they need a manager whatsoever. Like I said, like Alex. I like Alex a lot. Never met him in person, but from everything I've seen, seems like a super cool guy. Don't like him as this manager whatsoever. A lot of stiff moments throughout the early part of this match, especially anything involving the ropes. These guys just seem to be smacking the living hell out of each other. I love both of these teams individually, but I feel like, especially early on, I felt like they just didn't have great chemistry because so many of the spots early on looked like they were close to being botches. Like there was a spot where they're trying to throw Phoenix into Pentagon on the outside and Phoenix just like just barely makes it, like almost completely misses them. There was so many spots like that throughout this match where they just, they were so close to being a botch, but I think that both of these teams are just so good, they were able to figure it out from there. But as the match does pick up, the spots do seem to get cleaner and their chemistry, you know, maybe if they didn't have it at the beginning of the match, they definitely seem to get it as the match goes on. Dax attempts to do the three amigos, Penta blocks it and then hits him with his own three amigos and then Phoenix does a frog splash. And I mean, fuck, that should have been the finish, if I'm being honest with you. 
Like by this point, the the tributes to Eddie haven't overstayed their welcome, in my opinion. So I think that could have been a great finish, but uh, they it wasn't the finish, not not even close. There was a spot where they were doing the I cannot remember what it is, but it's that assisted pile driver that FTR does in the corner that 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 move that the Brainbusters used to do back in the day, and they fucking the way that they flip Phoenix into the pile driver was super super cool. That guy's probably the most athletic person on this entire company. I noticed that throughout this match, these guys seem to be kicking out of a shitload of pile drivers. Like these, everybody in this match gets dropped on their head repeatedly, but yet somehow keeps kicking out of pile drivers. It gets to a point where I'm like, all right, well, somebody's going to have to go grab Arn's Glock or this match is just not going to end. Uh, they do this finish where the guys go or FTR goes under the ring and they put on these fucking green luchador masks that they wore whenever they won the AAA titles. Cash gets in the ring who was the illegal man. He wasn't even the guy that was actually tagged into the match. And then he winds up getting pinned while he has the mask on, which I thought they were going to take the mask off. The referee was going to realize that it was the wrong guy and they were going to restart the match, but they didn't do that. I think this ending was fucking stupid, really stupid ending to an otherwise pretty damn entertaining match. I gave it a B minus. After that, we had Brian Danielson versus Miro. I missed the entrances and the first few minutes of this match. November 13th also happens to be my wife's birthday. I had some cake, and uh, let's just say the cake had to go. So as I came in, Miro was just absolutely brutally tit-fucking Brian on the outside of the ring. They wind up getting back inside the ring. A lot of the fans are doing the yes chants, and that kind of irritates me because Brian has kind of openly discouraged people doing the yes chance because it's WWE's intellectual property. I've heard him say before that there's something in his theme song that he wants people to chant, but like nobody's gotten the memo. I haven't closely listened to the theme song, so I don't know what he was talking about. But yeah, like that kind of aggravates me. Like it seems like a, like some of the fans aren't doing it. Like some of the fans might have got the memo, but so many fans are still chanting yes. It, 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 it kind of bothers me, but it, it's whatever. Just, just another one of these stupid pet peeves that I have. Brian tries to put Miro into a knee bar and then Miro counters it by bending Ending him over. He must have thought that, uh, must have thought Brian was his wife there for a second. Uh, Miro tries to put on the accolade. I don't know what he's calling. Is, is, is he calling it game over? Is that what he calls the move now? I just, I, I can't remember commentary ever saying it. But uh, he he uh, he gets put in that a couple of times. Brian counters the second accolade with a label lock. Miro then counters the label lock by putting Brian into missionary position. Something that I've noticed. And maybe it's just because Miro constantly talks about banging his wife in like every promo that he does, but his matches are very sexual. Like I've seen him put Dan I've seen him put Brian Danielson in doggy style and missionary position in this match. I want you guys to like pay close attention to every Miro match you see from here on out because I think most of his offense is sex positions. I'm I'm totally convinced of that at this point. Brian winds up knocking out Miro with a top rope DDT and then applies a guillotine choke. Miro is knocked out so the referee calls it off. Pretty decent match. Like I said, I didn't get to see the beginning so I really only watched like 60% of this match. Uh, but I gave it a B-. These are two guys that I think are very good wrestlers and I think they had a pretty damn good chemistry against each other. Uh, after that, we've got the Super Click versus is the Jungle Peeps at a Falls Count Anywhere match. The Young Bucks facial hair has X-Pac heat with me. Like, they, it really does. Like, I, I'm sure they're doing it because it's like, oh, look at us. Look at how big of douchebags we are. Everybody's going to boo us, right? No, I just, I don't care anymore. I'm just, I'm over it. It looks, yeah, whatever. It looks goofy. I don't care. It doesn't get a reaction out of me, so... 
total X-Pac heat with me. Uh, and then Adam Cole comes out to potentially the greatest theme song in AEW right now. Uh, matching pink and black gear from the the super click. Really enjoyed that aesthetic. Tony Schiavone's on commentary with his little, you know, jabs at Adam Cole. I guess he's still trying to bang Britt Baker. I don't know. I'm not really into this. Another one of those examples of, like, people on commentary really not being unbiased like they're supposed to be. Christian and Jurassic Express are dressed up like they've got to get ready for a rumble against the Socias after this show. Jack Perry grew out his facial hair a little bit so that he looks like a street tough so that you know this is real serious shit a lot of goofiness with the outfits early on at this match just just they're both going for two completely different things each one of these teams and it's just so goofy uh early on in the match we get a shitload of drop kicks into trash cans a lot of cool tag team spots on the outside throughout by each team christian cage winds up jumping off of the balcony at one point onto the super click way too damn old to be doing stuff like that guys christian cage is in his mid 40s and i don't think anybody told him that because he's wrestling this match like he's in his mid 20s and he doesn't care if he dies back in the ring the super click puts some thumbtacks in jungle boy's mouth and does the super kick to him absolutely hate the thumbtack in the mouth spot. Like, I, I just don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I wrote down that there was a few really noticeable botches in this match. I'm guessing with some of the weapon stuff on the outside, I, I can't, I didn't write anything specific. I don't know why I didn't. But yeah, there definitely, I guess there was a few really noticeable botches in this match. Uh, both teams go to Dick Kick City on the entrance ramp. There's both just constantly kicking each other in the dick over and over again for quite a while. Adam Cole hits a Panama Sunrise off of the set by the entranceway. That was pretty fucking lit. Then they, uh, they, the, the match comes to a grinding halt so that the super click can put thumbtack knee pads on. That was significantly less lit than the spot before that. Jungle Boy wins the match with a reluctant concerto seemingly killing Matt Jackson as everyone cheers. Uh, yeah, the concerto spot was really weird. Like, you've got Matt Jackson laid out. Christian's going to do with do the concerto, and Jungle Boy comes up and tells him, no, I'll do it, I'm ready, and then Jungle Boy kills Matt Jackson. I don't know why the concerto was such a big, important spot in this match. Like, they definitely teased doing it earlier in the match. This is a move that Edge and Christian popularized at the height of their popularity as the biggest heels in the WWF. It's a pretty fucked up move to do, considering it involves two chairs colliding against a wrestler's head. So why in the fuck was it so important for a babyface to seemingly concuss and possibly kill one of his competitors? I don't get that. This match was all over the place. Like, it was a fun enough watch. It was definitely like some PWG light kind of shit. There was some good spots throughout it that I really, really enjoyed. I think Adam Cole and Christian, respectively, are the MVPs of this match. But I just didn't really vibe with this match too well. Personally, just way too much fuck shit going on. I give it a C+. After that, we have got Andrade and Malachi Black versus Cody Rhodes and Pac. Aleister Black has the absolute coolest TV entrance right now. But I feel like it probably doesn't look that cool if you see it live. Like, I remember the first wrestling show I went to was at the height of whenever the Wyatt family would come out and you would see on TV everything would be really dark and the only light that you could really see was was all of the fans' cell phone lights. And on TV that looked really, really cool. But live, 
did not look that cool. Like the arena was way brighter than it looked on TV. So I imagine the Malachi Black entrance probably isn't as cool if you see it live, but on TV, it's, it's totally killer. You know, Cody Rhodes likes to act like he's oblivious to his dickish ways, but I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Like, I think he understands why the crowd is booing him. And even though, like, in interviews, it sounds like he just doesn't get it and he doesn't understand why everybody's booing him, I think that, honestly, behind the scenes, he's leaning into it. Because let's not forget, not four or five years ago, Cody was probably the best heel in professional wrestling. So this guy knows how to be a dick. And even though he says stuff like, I'm not turning heel, I think he's just doing that to piss everybody off. I think he's so good at that. And I think he understands why he's getting booed. And I think this is going to be a slow burn, hopefully, to something big. Now, if for whatever reason he actually is oblivious to why he's getting booed and this is what people think it is, then it's kind of stupid at this point, if I'm going to be totally honest with you. But I'm holding out hope that Cody knows what he's doing. And hopefully this does, in fact, lead to a big heel turn. Because like I said a few years ago, he was the best heel in professional wrestling. And I'd love it if that Cody Rhodes came back. The biggest story in this match seemed to be non-stop blind tags. Like, I don't think that there was any actual legal hand-to-hand tags throughout this match. It was all just smacking the other guy on the shoulder. Uh, I love each one of these wrestlers individually. I think all of them are great. Was not feeling this tag match whatsoever. Let's see, Arn beats up the assistant all the way to the back. A lot of just back and forth aggravation throughout the match like that's really the best way to explain it back and forth aggravation this is like a 10 minute match of just four guys getting pissed off at each other Pac winds up putting me out of my misery by winning with the black arrow FTR comes out to the ring and throws like two punches to Pac and then leaves okay uh I don't I don't get it but but all right uh C I think it was the worst I think it was probably the worst match on the card You know, like I said, I like all four of these guys, but this match did absolutely nothing for me, and I would have been totally fine with it not being on the card. This, uh, I don't know, like there was nothing, nothing inherently wrong with it, but it also wasn't very good. So it's a C. Next up, we have the women's title match, Britt Baker versus Ty Conti. You know, they're talking about how much of a real threat Ty Nara is. Like, they keep putting it over how she's like one of the most dominant women in this company. And she's got a really stacked win-loss record. The problem is most of those matches, I'd say 80 to 90% of them, took place on dark. That means jack shit to me. It really does. Yes, she has a really impressive win-loss record. It's mostly against jobbers. That's why. Not to try to say that Ty Conti is not a good enough wrestler to be in the spot. I think she's fantastic, and I think she's one of the fastest learning wrestlers in the company. She came into AEW with just a couple of years' experience, and I think she's done wonders. But, like, they're trying to play her off as she's this real threat. She just fucks up everybody that gets in the ring with her, when in actuality she's had, like, four or five matches on Dynamite. Rich Ward comes out to play guitar for Britt Baker's theme song, and I just think that was really fucking weird and unnecessary. Like, if it was a guitar player from Downstate, you know, the actual band that wrote the theme song, maybe then okay. But, uh, yeah, Rich is not in Downstate whatsoever. He's in Fozzie, so that's weird. And also, it's kind of weird to just have a guy come out and play rhythm guitar for your entrance, and that's it. Like, it's not even like a Nita Strauss thing where she's ripping some crazy fucking solo throughout uh, or even the other, I, I can't remember the name of the other guitar player in Fozzie that came out to try to play Judas at the last pay-per-view, even though he didn't do a great job with it, 
there was at least like a, it was acapella, it's literally just a lead guitar. Rich Ward just came out to play a rhythm guitar along with the, the actual track of the entrance. That just seems so unnecessary for me, and I just really did not get why they did that. Not a lot of notes for this one. I just really was not feeling this match whatsoever. Britt wins with a roll-up after about five minutes of some super sloppy shit. Uh, a lot of outside interference completely went unpunished. Like, Rebel and Jamie Hayter just kind of beat Tynar shit in, and they got absolutely nothing for it. Like, they never once got thrown to the back. Nobody came out to help Tynar. Like, why the fuck did Anna Jay not come out? Just so much about this match did not make sense. Everything from the entrance all the way to the finish did not make sense to me. I gave this a C-. And it sucks. I hate saying that because I love everybody involved, but this match just was not good. Now we move on to a match that was the complete opposite. A match that was very good. CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. The first note that I have, how in the fuck is Punk supposed to be the face here? During the build-up for this match, during the, the promo segments between these two, Punk has been an absolute fucking asshole. Like, Eddie Kingston is talking about how whenever he got into the business, CM Punk was a total fucking dick to him and completely disrespected him and did nothing to help him as a young wrestler. And Punk is just like, yeah, so... How the fuck is CM Punk the babyface? I don't get... Like, we're building, <coughs> we're building Eddie Kingston like he's a heel, but CM Punk's the one that's being a total dick. Like, Eddie Kingston, everything that he says makes sense. I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, early on in the match, Bryce... Rimsburg was dicking around and didn't ring the bell so like Eddie like hit his fucking signature move and CM Punk just got to lay on the mat and rest for a little bit and then Bryce rang the bell I don't know that didn't make any sense to me but uh throughout the the intro the first few minutes of this match there was a lot of aggressiveness between these two guys a lot of fuck yous and flipping the birds and stuff like that it was definitely it had that grudge match vibe and I was super into that uh CM Punk teases doing Super John Cena's five moves of doom at one point. Once again, how the fuck is Punk the babyface? I don't get it. Eddie hits the three amigos, and I write here, I appreciate all the tributes. I really do, but does there really need to be a three amigos and a frog splash in almost every fucking match? Like, does there really need to be? Like, Eddie Guerrero was more than just three amigos and a frog splash and a shimmy. Like, there's other shit you could have done. There's other ways you could have paid tribute. I didn't get it. Like, it just happened way too much throughout the show. Kingston teases that he's going to do the go to sleep to Punk, but instead he just does a little jerk-off motion. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. That got a pop out of me. CM Punk does wind up hitting the GTS after that, but then gasses out into the ropes. After he recovers, CM Punk hits one more GTS, and that one does it. This ending was a bit of a downer. I do believe that this was CM Punk's best match since joining AEW, but the ending seemed way too abrupt, and honestly, the wrong guy won. Like, I'm looking at the times right now. This was the shortest match on the card, and I don't think it should have been. I think this match should have been longer than this. Um, this match went 11 minutes. It should have gone at least 15 or 16, if you ask me. Take some time off of the Britt Baker match. Definitely take some time off of the Cody Rhodes and Pac versus Black and Andrade this match should have went a little bit longer, but I've also noticed CM Punk gets like super gassed in these matches. Like I've noticed like his breathing gets heavy really early on in all of these matches he's had since he came back. But I love this match for what we got. Uh, I would have given this match an A plus 
if it would have just ended with Kingston winning. But because CM Punk won, and this absolutely no fucking reason he should have won, especially considering I feel like this feud is probably done now, I give it a B. Like, in no way, shape, or form. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, CM Punk is a total piece of shit in this feud. How do you cheer for that guy? Eddie Kingston was wronged by this dude, and he's just trying to stand up for himself. How the fuck do you not let Kingston win? Whatever, I don't care. Let's move on to the next match. It's a B. Next up, you get the Inner Circle versus the Men of the Year, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, with American Top Teams, Junior Dos Santos, Andre Arlovsky, and Dan Lambert. Uh, my first note is I'm too tired for this shit. <laughs> I guess at this point it was probably about 11 o'clock at night. And uh, like I said, haven't exactly been feeling very good. So I was just really exhausted by this point. Baron Von Roschke is sitting ringside, which I guess is neat. Obviously, we'll see that he comes into play later in the match, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, one of my first big notes, I am an Andre Arlovsky mark. And I wrote, I hope he kicks ass. And I think he did. I think Arlovsky and Junior Dos Santos both did solid jobs. I think that if they stick with it, I think that they can both be very, very solid professional wrestlers. I think that I think they definitely have the foundation. These are two guys that I really enjoyed. Whenever I first started watching the UFC, Andre Arlovsky was the heavyweight champion. So I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed them in this match, and I think that they both did a very good job for two guys that are, you know, not wrestlers. Uh, one of the things that I had a gripe about, if this is a street fight, then why in the flying fuck did everybody start by standing on the apron? Like, they treat it the first, like, five to ten minutes – they treat this like it's a regular fucking tag team match and everybody's standing on the apron. And that made zero sense. This is a fucking street fight. Why are you pretending that there's rules? Uh, one of the spots that I really liked but looked like it almost went wrong, Junior Dos Santos hit a standing moonsault in the middle of the ring. Looked like he damn near landed on the top of his head whenever he did it, but still very impressive nonetheless. After about 10 minutes in the ring, they finally decide that they're actually going to have a street fight. Each weapon comes with a history lesson, which is kind of goofy. They're like, oh, look, the hockey stick, which was created in Minneapolis in the 1840s. And, oh, look, it's a toboggan. You know, toboggans are originally from Minnesota, right? Like, all kinds of goofy shit like that. It's so, it's so weird. Like, I feel like that, that part was unnecessary, but whatever. I don't, I don't care. I don't make the rules. Jericho had a custom Prince logo that said Inner Circle on it. Of course, Prince from Minneapolis. I didn't know how to feel about that. Big Prince fan myself, but I, I, I definitely thought that was kind of weird. A lot of weird shit involving the weapons in this match. And then uh, on the outside of the ring, Baron Von Raschke puts the claw on on all-ego Ethan Page. Sure. Fine, I guess. Uh, just kind of weird. Like, kind of just fucking random. Hey, Tony, did you know that Baron Von Raschke's here? Oh, no shit. Well, tell him to sit front row. I think we can, uh, I think we can do something with him later tonight. That's just so weird. So fucking random. Sammy Guevara does a spot off of a 40-foot fucking ladder. Made me really uncomfortable. I'm not I'm not crazy about ladder spots these days. I've talked a little bit on here about how close I was whenever the laser ladder spot happened, whenever he broke his hip. So, yeah, going forward, I'm, I'm, I'm not really as hyped to see ladder spots as I used to be back in the day, and there was a lot of room for error in that one. 
But uh, yeah, not super comfortable there. Uh, Y2J is working in the ring with Lambert. Junior Dos Santo fucks up his spot. He was supposed to be on the apron to nail Jericho before he did the lion salt, but he was not there in time. So Jericho does the classic just yelling, Junior, really fucking loud and very obviously for everybody in the arena to see. After that super awkward shit gets done, Y2J winds up winning the match with the frog splash. This is one of the few tributes throughout the show that I was super into because Y2J and Eddie Guerrero were very close friends. These are guys that rode the roads together for a decade. I was super cool with Jericho doing this, but yeah, it was kind of goofy that just all throughout the show, it's just frog splashes and three amigos and seemingly every fucking match. But there was some fuck-ups in this match. It was definitely a clusterfuck, but considering you had 10 people in this match, three of which are not wrestlers whatsoever, it was actually fairly entertaining. I give it a B. And then moving on to our main event, right before that match gets started, right before the competitors come out, we get a huge announcement that there is a new signing at AEW. Let's see if my voice will allow me to do this. It's the Black Machismo, Jay Lethal. Ooh, yeah. Jay Lethal comes out and is announced as the newest addition to the AEW roster. Ring of Honor just announcing recently that they've had to let go all of their talent from their current contracts and they're having to restructure the promotion. Jay Lethal, a really big part of Ring of Honor for a very long time. It is it is cool seeing him in AEW, and I'm sure that he is going to have some great matches. Love, 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 love to see him and Brian Danielson hook it up. I think that could be a match of the year contender right there. And Jesus Christ, I just blew my fucking voice out doing that. Oh my God, fuck. <coughs> I've still got to talk about this main event. But we get to the main event match. We've got Hangman Adam Page going against Kenny Omega for the AEW world title, a match that has been years in the making. The writing is on the wall, has been on the wall for a very long time. This is going to be Hangman's moment. He's finally going to get this belt. Hangman gets put over super fucking hard before this match even starts. They've got the the scene where they, they blocked off all the roads by the arena so that he could come in on a horse. You see the Dark Order running to the building, freaking the fuck out. Like, it's about to start. I thought that part was really funny. Whenever Paige comes out, you know, they always have the funny-ass lower third on his graphics where there's always some funny note from the graphics team. This one actually said, we're proud of you. And I love that. I really, really did love that. Um, Match gets started, and I fall asleep. Yeah, seriously. I fell asleep. Uh, I, I slept throughout this entire match. I didn't wake up until the bell rang, and I felt like a dick for it. Uh, I was not going to do this review without watching the match, so I did go back and watch it this morning, so I do have some notes. Early on in this match, Kenny Omega remained in control for quite a while, and what I loved about it was he was working like that aggressive New Japan heel Kenny Omega, and I really loved it. He pulled out a lot of the greatest hits, And starting off, he was very, very dominant in this match. Hangman Page finally starts to get a little bit of a comeback going, and then he winds up taking out the ref with a lariat. After he does that, Don Callis gets in the ring with the belt and tries to nail Hangman Page with it, but Hangman stops him and beats the dog shit out of him for his troubles. Hangman hits Kenny with the dead eye, but the new ref is too late, so just gets a two count. After that, the Young Bucks come ringside, and of course, everybody's like, oh, great, now something fucky is going to happen. But uh, they come they come ringside, but they don't do anything. I guess uh, the story here is they acknowledge that they weren't there for Adam Page whenever he needed them the most. 
And now they're just, they're going to let him do his thing. And Paige winds up after that, hitting Kenny with the buckshot lariat, and he gets the win. Adam Page is your new AEW world champion. I have gotten so jaded being a, a WWE fan as long as I was that every time something seems too good to be true, it's not going to happen, right? Like every time it's like, okay, this has been built perfectly. We can now do this thing that we've been building for for the last couple of years. And then it's like, no, fuck that. We've got to swerve them for the sake of swerving them. So for whatever reason in my mind, I thought Kenny was going to retain tonight. And that was just the jaded wrestling fan in me that thought that, like, they're like, because we can't have nice things. I forgot that AEW regularly lets us have nice things. And it was a great moment. The Dark Order come out to celebrate with Hangman. He, uh, you know, uh, Alex offers him a beer. He doesn't take the beer, he just brings everybody in for a hug. Seeming like the Hangman of old, the Hangman that we had whenever AEW first became a company, that Hangman is back. And I'm looking forward to next week's Dynamite. I really am. This was a great match. I give it an A, far and away, the best match on this show. And that was AEW Full Gear in a nutshell. Uh, only a couple of matches that I really didn't care for. Most other matches were at least very solid. A lot of people are calling this the best AEW show since its inception. I don't know about that. Revolution 2020 still holds a close place in my heart, but this was a very entertaining show. It's just too fucking long. It was four hours. It could have been a little bit less. If these shows can start being three hours long and like $10 cheaper, I would be so happy. But my final grade for this show as a whole, I'm going to give it a B. It was very entertaining. If you have not watched this show yet, go ahead and purchase the replay. I do recommend it. I do think it is $50 well spent. My favorite match of the night is definitely Adam Page versus Kenny Omega. I think Adam Page is going to get my MVP of the show. Uh, everything that needed to happen in that main event happened. And that I don't feel that way about other matches on this card. Uh, definitely with CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. That did not happen the way it should have happened. But we definitely got a an awesome happy ending in this main event. And thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Main Event Heat. I'm kind of fucking aggravated at the amount of shit that I have to edit now. I really don't want this to be an hour-long episode. But what did you think? Do you have any feedback? Do you agree with me, disagree with me, anything in between? You can go ahead and hit me up at maineventheat at yahoo.com. I know Steven probably will. <laughs> and if you would like to follow me on social media, you can do so by finding at SweetSexyRob on Instagram and Twitter. The best way to support the show is by picking up a t-shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com slash RobWeathers. And once again, thanks for hanging out. <clears throat>